Make you guys stand throughout the whole thing. <laughs> no, relax. Take a good little nap if you need to. Uh, I'm kidding. Kidding. What do you say? Some of you guys will do it regardless. Um, I'm kidding. But anyways, be that as it may, um, hola. <laughs> I have a good friend from Ecuador that's here. Hola, Ana Maria. <laughs> She's just here for a week and uh, headed back. But um, I know we didn't do announcements and all, but I was talking to Kathy Goodband. Um, they do the uh, children's ministry. And they're just praying that some of you who have been praying to be involved would get involved. And so just throwing it out there for you guys. I know it wasn't in the announcements, but read your bulletins anyways. And there's a need back there. So pray for that. But I want to invite you to come out this Thursday night if you'd like to. I know some of you guys aren't normal coming out, um, but we just got finished uh, with the series that Mark Matthews did on uh, the uh, a prophecy perspective, not an update, but a perspective, and it was Ezekiel 38 and 39. He did an amazing, amazing job. If you'd like, uh, you can buy an MP3 to put all the studies. There's four studies. It turned out it was going to be a two-week study, and then a three-week study, and then it morphed into a four-week study, and which was okay. It was cool. Um, because it was it was amazing, and uh, I truly want to encourage you to either get an MP3 or go online on Calvary Chapel or Calvary.org and go onto our website, and you can listen to all those studies, and they are amazing. And so I didn't want to start the book of Romans because that's where I'll be starting on Thursday nights, because we're going to the following week is, is Thanksgiving, and so we won't be here. We won't have a study that week, and so what I'm going to do this week, we're going to have. Um, communion. We're going to have, uh, I'm going to share a message on Thanksgiving and some worship, and it's just going to be a sweet time. And um, I don't know exactly how it's going to, to, to turn out yet, but you're invited. Um, I'm going to try to finish early so that uh, I've invited some people to to bring some desserts. So we'll have something, some coffee and desserts afterwards, because we need to like get our stomachs ready for Thanksgiving the following week. <laughs> And so you got to put some in there to expand because if you kind of don't eat for a long time, your stomach shrinks and then you eat Thanksgiving meal and it's like, so it's better to stretch it out now for that time. And, uh, and then it's like you can eat as much as you want. Um, but be that as it may, you're invited to come out. It's just going to be a different night. And I am so looking forward to it because we're going to have communion and worship and see what else the Lord does that night. But you're invited to come out and hang out with us, Okay. Let's pray once again before we get into the word. Father in heaven, once again, Lord, we're just so in awe of all that you're doing that you want to do, Lord God. And even this morning, as we seek your face, as we get back into First Peter, Lord, um, please, Lord God, just bless it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, last week, as I started to study, not the last week, but the days like leading into Sunday, as I was studying... I had every intention of finishing 1 Peter chapter 1. And as I got to study, I, it came apparent, became apparent, became obvious that I was not going to have, that wasn't going to happen. I had every intention of finishing that chapter, but as I was studying, it just wasn't going to happen. And then I got here, and first service, I got going and stuff. I warned you guys, I didn't warn first service, because I didn't know what was going to happen first service. And so... I got going in first service and I had every intention of covering what I did want to cover. And then as I got going, it became obvious that that wasn't going to happen either. But this morning, 
I have every intention of finishing the chapter. <laughs> every intention. Good intentions, nonetheless. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Now, I, I finished it first service, so I, I could almost guarantee you that we will finish First Peter this service as well. But this first chapter of Peter, you can turn there, you can get there. We're going to go somewhere else, but then we'll come back to that. But um, this first chapter of Peter, um, Peter has been laying the foundation for the theme of this book, which is, which is uh, suffering and glory. That is the theme of this book. And, and he has been showing us through this chapter in particular, this chapter, he's been showing us the glory that awaits us in the eternal sense. He, he's been painting this picture. He, he, he's been giving us this storyline of what is waiting for us in heaven. And that kind of glory, that glory that is waiting for us in heaven cannot, will not, will ever diminish all, it will never diminish. It is unreserved in heaven for you. That's what the scriptures have been showing us. That this type of glory that, that Jesus accomplished because of his suffering will never, ever change. Ever. And you can bank on that. And you can be confident in that. Because the only reason that we can be confident in that kind of glory is because of the suffering that Jesus went through. The lengths that he went through or two, in order to ransom us. Here, here you have an innocent man who is willing to pay the price for you, for your sin. He went through that much length just to redeem us. And it was with his precious blood. That's what we've been covering. And it was in that precious blood part that, I, that hung me up last week because I could not get past that. Even as I was studying and I thought I was going to move on, I couldn't just go through that. You see, there is no glory without suffering in the eternal sense. There's no glory without suffering. But also in the practical sense. Because Peter reminds us that we will, or there will be, grievous, or, 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 or we will go through grievous trials. Or how's it read here? That, where is it? In verse 6, you have been grieved by various trials. We will go through various trials and we will be grieved by them. And so, in, in, in one sense, we will suffer here on this earth as Christians with trials. But it is only because it is to test the genuineness of our faith. That's what we've been learning. So, as trials refine our faith, so obedience to the Word of God refines our character. So as trials refine our faith, so obedience to the Word of God refines our character. In other words, our conduct, our behavior as born-again believers is a visible evidence or are visible evidences of what we claim to believe in and whom we claim to believe in. People look at us and they judge us by our conduct to see what we believe in is true. All by our conduct. And so obedience to the Word of God refines that character. What Peter has been conveying to us in the last couple of studies that we've been going through has a lot to do with our conduct as Christians. 
But understand this, Peter, Peter is doing this because he went through it himself. Who he was, who Peter was before, Jesus breathed into him the spiritual, spiritual life. And who he was after that are two completely different people. Peter walked with him. And yet he wasn't born again at the time of walking with him. It wasn't wasn't until the resurrection that Jesus breathes into them. And he says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Something happened to him. And then after the Holy Spirit came upon him, totally, totally different people. And it was all because he now had a spiritual nature that was different than the one he was born with. That which was of the flesh was flesh. That which was of the spirit was now spirit. Two different complete natures, total opposite natures. Turn over, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. And then we'll come back to First Peter in a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I want to give you a little glimpse of the two natures that, that, that we see or that we have in our lives. Beginning in verse 1 to verse 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace to his, in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see the two natures here? In the beginning of those verses where he says, But you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, has given you life, even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It shares with us that in the nature, in the in the fleshly nature, we did what the course of this world wanted us to do. But in the spiritual nature that he has given us, because we are born again, he says, now you have been called as his workmanship or his workmen, yeah, his workmanship for good works. Those are totally two completely different natures. Our desire now, because we are born again, should be to do the will of the Father, not our will, not the will of this world. And so he has changed us completely. Two different natures. 
Now, if God has gone through all that trouble or all this trouble, if he has gone to great lengths to bridge this gap between God and man, using Jesus Christ himself as that bridge to link us together, what manner of persons ought we to be or ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's what Peter says in his second letter. 2 Peter 3.11, the last part. Knowing that he has gone through all that trouble, what manner of persons ought, ought we to be in our conduct, in our holy conduct and godliness? You see, I don't think that God was looking for a 50-50 relationship with us. I, I, I don't think that he went through all of that just so he could get part of you. To, to, so that we can meet somewhere in the middle. That's not the relationship that he was looking for. No, he, he, he went all in. He totally went on in, all in into our side. And he expects the same from us. We are either all in or all out. You see, God is not tolerant or will not tolerate or stand for or put up with a 50-50 relationship. He calls that being lukewarm. And this is what he says about being lukewarm to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Again, Mark touched on this on Thursday night, did an epic job. You should listen to it. But this is what he says in Revelation 3, 15 and 16. I know your works. Again, he's talking to the church of Laodicea. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what God thinks about 50-50 relationships. Any kind of percentages except 100%. You're lukewarm. He doesn't play that game. (laughs) You're either all in or all out. You're better not being in than... If you're not going to be all in, just be all out. God, God, our Father, is the judge, as we studied last week, in every sense of the word, because the word God does mean judge. He is a judge all, all the way through. Let us be all in. <laughs> God gave His Son, His all, His best, to ransom you and me, all of it. He didn't hold back. Somehow He saw worth in us. And he decided to go all in, to go all out. He made the first move because he loved us. Let us respond to that love. Amen. Man, let us respond to that kind of love. First Peter. We're going to read the whole chapter. I know some of you guys who have been here throughout this whole time, I don't know how many studies we've done. I, I, I liked reading from the beginning so that you could have this chapter just ingrained in your heart and mind. I hope, my hope is that when you read through First Peter chapter 1, it's like, oh yes, <laughs> we went through it like I don't know how many times. And so my heart is that when you read this, it's like, yep, I remember that, I remember that, I remember that. 
So verse 1 to verse 25. Hold on to your hats. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to honor Praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each man's works, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, 
but incorruptible. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Man, that's a lot of reading. Man, my hope is that that chapter is ingrained in your heart. That you would always go back to that. That you would understand what this whole chapter is all about. Beginning in verse 20, 20 and 21, he says, Indeed, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, now if you really want to get blown away here, try and wrap your head around, try to wrap your little pea brain around the thought that the payment that was made for you was preordained. It was already in force. Before the foundation of the world, He planned that. It it is the sovereignty of God that foreordained all of this just for you and I. He knew what would happen, why it would happen, and how it would happen, and He still put it into motion. To me, when I think of, think of that, it's like, man, that is just too far or too much for our humanness to try to understand that. That is just way beyond me because most of the time, or, or many, you know, mainly some non-Christians, but a lot of Christians, and I've been there also myself, when you start thinking of, of this whole preordained thing that God knew it, oftentimes we, we, we begin to say, it's like, well, if He knew this, why didn't He stop it? Why didn't he change it? If he knew that this was all going to happen, how come he just didn't rearrange it all? And I think that we go there and because we, we think even on our own minds, when things are going on in our lives, that, that God could stop it. I know he could, but he doesn't. And we get upset. It's like, God, you know that you could stop this, but why don't you? It's like, I don't know. I wish I could give you an answer for that. But he doesn't always intervene the way we want him to intervene. And when we try to wrap our head around the whole fact that he had all this preordained, he had all this taken care of, and it's like, ah, how does he allow that to happen, knowing that his son, that he would give up his son, why didn't he change that? He just loved us that much. You see, He never asked us to understand that. He never asked us to try to understand Him. He just told us to believe and believe in Him. That's all He asked us to do. Because when we're going through our situations and we're getting upset at God going, Lord, you could intervene here. And he does that. He says, I don't need you to understand it. I just need you to trust me that I will get you through this. It's hard for us to make sense of it all. I've I've tried. And again, it's like the what, the why, the how. It's like, honestly... When I begin to go there to try to comprehend that vastness of why he would allow all that to happen, it just kind of draws me closer to him because I begin to understand just how much he loves me. 
knowing that all this would happen and He still had you in mind and He loved you through this because of this. Again, it overwhelms me at times knowing that He loves me that much. That knowing beforehand that all this would happen, He says, but He is still precious to me and I will let it happen. To show Him just how much I love Him. I will send my Son to show Him instead of keeping Him back. I will go all the way, all the way for them. Now at times we look at the death of Christ as this brutal murder of an innocent man who didn't deserve it. He was a man who was totally innocent. No sin in his life whatsoever. He didn't deserve to die this way. And that is so true. But the death of Jesus on the cross was no accident. It was an appointment that was, it, that was already scheduled. It was going to happen. In other words, nobody took Jesus' life. Jesus laid down His life for us. That's what the Scriptures tell us. And it tells us that there is no greater love than that. <laughs> that a man would give his life for a friend. And that's what He did for you and I. Because He loved us that much and it says here in verse 20 but was manifest in these last times for you he showed himself he made himself known you see this this first generation that he's writing to these people that he's writing to here, they were the first generation to really believe in God after the resurrection. Because of what they heard. You see, they were hearing it from an eyewitness like Peter. Peter was there. Now all these people that he's writing to, it's quite possible that some of them were alive when Jesus walked the earth. It's quite possible that they were in Israel, in Jerusalem area, and they saw him. Maybe not had a relationship with Him, but they saw Him or they knew of Him. And now that they're dispersed, they're scattered all over the the northern part of Turkey. And He's writing to them. These people believed. They adhered to, they, they, they relied upon God because of the witnesses of those who were faithful to carry out this message. And in turn, they began to act on what they believed. And it was purely through faith and hope. You see, I was thinking about this. I'm thinking, Peter, Peter had the opportunity to look Jesus in the eye, to touch Jesus. He didn't need faith. After the resurrection, after all of this happened and the Holy Spirit came upon him, he began to live by faith. We have never experienced that. We only know faith. Peter had to go from seeing to not seeing and believing. And Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. I shared this a while back. Faith faith is the moral conviction or persuasion of a belief or religious truth, an assurance of what you believe. Hope is the expectation, the anticipation of that faith that it will happen. And these people, these first 
century people here, they began to understand what hope and faith were all about. They began to walk in that. You see, Jesus knew what his life, death, and resurrection would accomplish, faith and hope. Faith and hope in God. And all they had to do was receive it and believe it and walk in it. And that's why Jesus came to bridge the gap between God and man. Verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Now I'll warn you here, I am going to camp out in verse 22 and we'll just skim the last few. I don't want you to get panicky. Ah, man, all this changes. He says in verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Notice that Peter does not use the word if here. He uses the word since. In all other translations, it's not if in any of those. It's since, which could read, now that you have responded, now that you have done something about what you have heard, is what he is saying here. Peter, in one sense, is acknowledging that obedience is or should be our natural response when we come to know the truth. Obedience because you know the truth. You are part of the truth now. That's what Peter is acknowledging here. Since you have come to the truth, (laughs) obey. Obey. (laughs) Knowing, understanding that God has done everything on our behalf. He has done everything. The fact that He thought this through from the foundation of the world. And that you can come to the realization that God has provided even the means of purification. Because here it says, since you have purified your souls. It's not that we had to do something, but He placed that purification in our grasp so that we can be purified. The means of purification is through the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. He has provided the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be clean. He has cleansed our souls through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, since you have been clean, since if you, you've been purified, shouldn't our response, knowing all of that, shouldn't our response be total obedience to Him? Shouldn't that be our response? Knowing what we know now, that He has gone through all that, shouldn't our response be total obedience? Now, I I want to share with you that Peter is not the one that's asking a question here. He is making a statement. From, From here to the end of the chapter, he is making a statement. Since this is happening, or since you know these things, Because this has occurred and you have responded. See, I'm the one that's asking the question here. Shouldn't we desire to be in obedience? Shouldn't our response be total obedience? That's my question. Peter's not asking that question. (laughs) 
I'm asking that question because obedience is not an option. When we respond to the truth, it's not an option. And I pose that question on obedience because I get the sense that the church today as a whole thinks that obedience to the Word of God is an option. That we could take it or leave it if we want to. That God's okay with it if we don't pay attention to Him. Guess what? God is not okay with it. He is not okay with it. If we have come to the truth, we cannot plead ignorance anymore. We cannot claim ignorance as it says back in verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lust as in your ignorance. He says, now that you have come, now that you have responded to that love, obey. This is what Peter will say in his second letter, 2 Peter 2.21. He says this, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. What he's saying, man, we would be better off not knowing the truth than knowing the truth and then not doing the truth, not obeying the truth. It would have been better if you had never known it, wouldn't it? (laughs) But now that you know it, you're not ignorant. The word ignorant means not knowing. You know. If you have come to the truth, you know. You're saying, but I'm a new Christian. You know somewhat that there's a truth there. And I could bet you that if you, when you were not a Christian, you knew what Christians should do and not do. <laughs> because you probably called them on it. <laughs> and so when you come to the truth, you know. And so you can't plead in ignorance any longer. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a, a young man uh, keep his way pure? By living according to the word. That's how the NIV puts it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to the word. In other words, by obeying the word. When you obey the word, you can keep yourself pure. When you're obeying it. It's when we don't obey that we can't be doing all those things. And so in a sense, Peter has laid the foundation here for us in this first chapter, saying that it took suffering to bring about glory. And the glory that Jesus has received up in heaven once again, we become partakers of that glory. You and I get to have that glory. He has shared that with us in the beginning here of of this chapter, that we are part of that because of the sufferings of Christ. And, and, and we were a part of it all because we responded to the gospel. All, all because we responded to what was preached to us, someone shared with us, and we said, yes, Lord, that's what I want. We responded to the good news, the gospel, the word of God. You see, the good news, the gospel, the word of God is not a book of suggestions. It is a book of commandments, of commands. (laughs) If, If the good news, the gospel, 
the Word of God, were a book of, of suggestions, then it would only be a take-it-or-leave-it news or gospel. You could take it or leave it if you want. If it was a book of suggestions, it would be the I-don't-stand-for-anything news or gospel. <laughs> It would be the, I, I don't really go that deep gospel. <laughs> because you could take it or leave it if you want. Now some, some would be attracted to that kind of gospel. Some would be attracted to, to, to a book of suggestions. <laughs> because they already treat the word of God that way. And guess what? Your, your life reflects it. Your, your life reflects that. Oh well, I could take it or leave it. You're, you're going through things in your life because you treat the Word of God as a suggestion and not as a, as a command. You're, you're, you're struggling in life and you're bitter and, and, and you're, you're, you're honoring with people because you're, you're taking this as a suggestion and not as a command. You already treat the Word of God that way. Peter has already told us to gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully on the grace, be obedient, don't conform, be holy. (laughs) And now he adds one more thing, the great commandment, love. He throws another one in there, you're going, man, I can't even do the other ones. It's like, yes, you can. Because it's the book of commands. And if you follow it, if you do it, you can do those things. But now he throws this other one. Listen to what Matthew, in his gospel, 22, verses 35 to 40. You could write these down or whatever. Matthew 22, 35 to 40. A lawyer asked him a question, asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. They ask him a simple question. What is the greatest commandment? He says, love God with everything you got. Everything. And love other people just the same way. You see, it wasn't a suggestion though. <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, you can take it or leave it. You have the option. No, it, it, it was not a suggestion. It was a command. He, he didn't say, well, if, it, it all depends if, if, if you really want to do it. It, it, it just depends if, if you feel like it or not. If you want to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, if you want to love others, he's not wishy-washy there. The gospel is not wishy-washy. Jesus said in, in John thirteen thirty-five, And by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another, if you have love for one another. That's what he was saying. He says, this is how people will acknowledge, will know if you are one of mine or not. It all depends on the love that you have. I know that the honest truth 
is that believers don't always love one another. I, I, I'm not blind to that. I'm not deaf to, to the fact that, that there is not always love within the brethren. And yet we will claim that we have hope. And yet we can't live in harmony with one another. Doesn't make sense, huh? Not when, we, not when you put it that way. <laughs> and I say that because it is evident in the church, in relationships among brothers and sisters, that there, there, are, there is strife. It, it, it is evident within people within the church that, that, that people would say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're coming to this service. This is my service. I'm going to have to start going through the other one. I wish I was joking. But people do that. It is evident that people all of a sudden, they can't stand their brother or sister. It's evident in Christian churches or Christian families. It's evident between husbands and wives that they're not loving one another. Wives, are you loving your husband? <laughs> husbands, are you loving your wife? Or are you at odds with each other most of the time? Because the scripture applies to you too when it says love with a fervent, pure heart or love fervently, however it's love. It, it means to your spouse as well. Because they're so often, it's like you can love everybody else, but you can't stand your husband or your wife. Sad, huh? It happens among siblings. Man, they're constantly fighting. And as parents, it's like, well, they're just fighting. It's like, no, put a stop to it. Talk to them about what it means to be a Christian if they're claiming Christ. That they are not to hate one another. They're to love one another fervently happens between parents and kids. It's evident. <laughs> there seems to be a lack of love that drives us to keep the unity with one another. There's a lack of love in our lives. I know that we would all agree with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, where it says, There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, we would say, Amen, bro. Amen. But man, I can't stand that person. That's why I'm sitting on this side now. <laughs> I know we're supposed to be one, but I can't even be in the same room with them. When I see them at, two, uh, at, at, at the market, I just go the other way because I, I just can't stand seeing them. Man, where's the unity? Where's the love? Where's, where's the humbleness? You know, where's the asking for forgiveness stuff? First John, this one you should write down if you haven't written any of them down. Write this one down or turn to it, highlight it, do whatever. First John 4, 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment I have, we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Not a suggestion. (laughs) But I did kind of play around with that verse. And I'm not trying to be blasphemous or anything. But as I was looking at that, I, I, I just kind of rearranged some words or added, took some words out and put some in, but just temporary, just to make a point here. This is the way I came up with that verse, 1 John 4, 20 and 21. It says, if someone says, I love God, but hate his brother, God is okay with it. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen must have a good reason for that. (laughs) Even though he says he loves God whom he has not seen. And this suggestion we have from him, that he who loves God, that he who loves God, if he wants to, if he feels like, should love his brother also. Not in your life. Some of you guys are going, what's that translation again, bro? Because I kind of like that. No. Going back to the real scripture. It's like, no. Now, now I know that I have taken verse 22 and kind of looked at it in a negative light. And it was only because when we are not obedient to the Word of God, we will lack in love. But let's look at it in a positive light. What would happen in your life? Seriously. What would happen in your life? Or how would your, what would your life look like if you, on a continual basis, okay? I'm talking about a continual basis. Every once in a while you might mess up, slip up. But on a continual basis, what would your life look like if you had a heart of obedience so that there is sincere love for and of the brethren? If you kind of gave up all your bitterness... If, 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 if the, the, the way you treat other people and speak to them, what would your life look like if you genuinely had a heart of obedience to say, I want to do what the Word, the, the word of God does, says? It's, it's hard, but I want to do it, Lord. Change me from within. Do something in me. What would your life look like? What would our life look like as a church if we genuinely, continuously loved one another? The kind of love that he's talking about here. I mean, would, would you probably, maybe, possibly walk around with a smile on your face? Instead of a growl? <laughs> the word sincere here means unfeigned, without hypocrisy, genuine and heartfelt. The word love here is the word phileo love. That, that, that's a, a, a brotherly kind of love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, you know? The word Philadelphia. That we, we need that kind of love to have for one another, that you actually like one another, that you would have that kind of love. 
And we are commanded to have sincere, unfeigned, without hypocrisy, genuine, heartfelt love for one another. That's what we are being commanded here to do. Not suggested, commanded. Peter is encouraging them and us, since you are doing that, he finishes off that verse by saying, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now that love that he's talking about there, that is the word agape in the Greek. That, that's the godly love, the unconditional love. He says, have that phileo love for one another, but also fervently, earnestly, deeply have that kind of love for one another. The kind of love that can only come from a changed heart. One that is, is motivated or, or, or whose motives are pure. One, the type of love that seeks to give more than it takes. That kind of love. That, that's the agape love. That's, that's the kind of fervent love that we are expected to have. Not a shallow love, but deeply a full stretch of love. in an all-out manner, with an intense strain, that is fervent love. Because that's the kind of love I want you to have for one another. I want to read you verses 22 to 25 through the Amplified. Follow along. Since Since by your obedience to the truth through the Holy Spirit, you have purified your hearts For a sincere affection of the brethren, see that you love one another fervently from a pure heart. You have been regenerated, born again, not from a mortal origin, seed and sperm, but from one that is immortal, by the ever-living and lasting Word of God. For all the flesh, for all flesh, mankind is like grass, and all its glory, honor, like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord, divine instruction, the gospel endures forever. And this word is the good news which was preached to you. You see, we are born again made into a new creation because of the Word of God. If if there was two spiritual parents here, it would be the Holy Spirit and the Word of God (laughs) that has made you born again. The Word of God that was preached to us gave us that kind of life. It is living and abides forever. It is incorruptible undefiled and does not fade away and it is kept by the power of God for salvation every every one of those words or however it's called every one of those cover that we looked at here that we've looked at throughout the chapter it all points to Jesus because he is all those things all of that because he is the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us And became the Lamb of God who shed His blood to redeem us so that we can become born again. 
You know, in the last few weeks, we've covered a lot, or we've studied a lot on our conduct. And quite honestly, guys, it has hit me hard. It has broken my heart. Not just for my life, but for our life as a church. I'm not saying that I don't see the love, man, because I see the love. And some of you guys who are new, you guys have felt the love. I understand that. But I know that we go through times where we just don't share that kind of love. My heart hurts. When families are not showing that kind of love to one another and they're falling apart, it hurts. And it should hurt all of us. And we should do everything that is in our power to be obedient. Because when we are not obedient, when we don't practice obedience, we have a lack of love. First John 4.19 tells us, He loved us, or we love Him because He loved us first. Again, he made the first move, guys. He went all in for you. Why shouldn't we be all in for him? Why shouldn't our hearts be to love? Let us love one another with a fervent love and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer, guys. Father, once again, Lord, we want to thank you for your word, Lord, for just allowing us the privilege to open up your word, to be able to to read through this portion of scripture, Lord, to understand this whole chapter, Lord, that you have shown us, Lord, that you have done all, you have gone to great lengths to show us the glory that is on reserve for us, Lord, as believers. And I just pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord God, that they would never take that lightly that they would totally understand and comprehend what you have already done on their behalf, Lord God. And right now, Lord God, if, if, if there's some in this room who need to repent, Lord, who need to ask you for forgiveness, Lord God, because they have treated your word as a suggestion, I pray, God, that you would convict their hearts. I pray, Father, that they would fall on their face before you, Lord, and that you would change them from within. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would change them and make them into the person that you want them to be. That, Lord, they would desire to be obedient, Lord. That they would desire to love. And to have the kind of love, Lord God, that you have loved them with, Lord. Change my brothers and sisters from within, Lord. Do that work, that they would continuously be obedient to your word. I beg you, Lord. Do that in the lives of my brothers and sisters. I pray that if there's any who, who are non-believers here and they know who they are, Lord, I pray that you would capture their hearts this morning. That, Lord, as, as they have never really felt that kind of love that this morning, just, just sharing the word, Lord God, they felt that love and that they would surrender their hearts and lives to you, Jesus, please. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us your word that lives and abides forever, Lord. Lord, that we can bank on this word, that we would stand on this word, and that nothing would rock us when we go back to the word and we can stand firm. So I thank you, Lord. Go with us now, I ask, in Jesus' name.